today. Mark chapter 5, start at verse number 21. When you're ready to read, say yeah. yeah. Need a little time to find it, say hold on. I heard it. I'll wait for you. Mark chapter 5. And it says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him he he noticed that power went out from him. he's never out of power but he knows when power goes out from him he realized that power had gone out from him Woo. and he turned around in a crowd full of people and asked who touched my clothes you see the people crowding against you his disciples said i'm thinking it's peter <laughs> you're going to sit up here and ask who touched me Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it then the woman knowing what had happened to her came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth and he said to her daughter your faith has healed you go in peace and be freed from your suffering while Jesus was still speaking some people came from the house of Jairus the synagogue leader your daughter is dead they said why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, some virgins say ignoring what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? Girl ain't dead. She's asleep. But they did what you just did. They laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means a little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and then told them, go to Chick-fil-A and get that girl something to eat because dying makes you hungry, obviously. <laughs> oh this is so good this is so so good and I know it's a lot of scripture thanks for bearing with me you wore those shoes come on if your feet are hurting that's on you but, but I want to I want to put a title I want to put a title on this text I want to put a title on this text and maybe you were saying my title as I was reading all those scriptures I want to title this message today hurry up hurry up. I know this is for somebody today, but let me first address who this message is not for. If you're one of those people that every time you cry out to God, he shows up for you on your time schedule. I ain't got a sermon for you today. Matter of fact, you just leave, go get brunch right now. If every time you cry out to God, he shows up and he shows up right on your schedule. I mean, you pray because you said, God, this rent is due on the 5th and he showed up on the 4th or the 5th. This message is not for you. I'm talking to the people that you said God is due on the 5th and now it's the 15th. And they send in letters and you don't know what to do. I'm talking to the people. They say, God, I know you're a promise keeper, but how come you're not punctual? <laughs> I'm talking to the people that have ever cried out to God and said, could you please hurry? God, I would like to get married in this century. Could you please hurry? <laughs> Up, God, I've been waiting for my breakthrough and my healing. Could you please hurry? God, we have been in every venue in the city of Dallas. I would like to have our own building. Could you? 
Too personal, I'm sorry. Hurry up. Hurry up. If you've ever looked to God and cried out, please hurry up. I want to talk to you today. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray a long prayer. God speak today. Amen. You may be seated. Presence of the Lord. Hurry. Hurry up. <laughs> you know, every time that I stand on this stage to preach the word of God, there's something that you need to know that is happening that you might not even be aware of. Every time I preach, there's actually a clock that is in front of me, but it's behind you. And it's always running while I'm preaching. Ooh, preachers tend to be long-winded. And for the benefit of brevity and the sake of this sermon today, I thought I would just flip the script. And instead of the clock being behind you and in front of me, I thought I would put my preaching clock behind me and in front of you. So y'all can watch how long the sermon's going to be today. And if I'm running out of time, make sure you let me know I'm running out of time. And just shout at me, hurry. Hurry up. If for some crazy reason, every single Bible in the world was confiscated and they would shut down the Bible app and you were only allowed to pick one literary genre of the Bible to hold on to, ooh, I know what literary genre I would pick. Let me first tell you what I wouldn't pick. I would not pick, ooh, the first five books of the Old Testament. Would not pick the Pentateuch. I'm sorry. That's not, not me. Not the starting five. I wouldn't put, pick Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. Uh, I would not pick, although I love poetry, I would not pick the Psalms. Would not pick the Psalms. I would not pick Proverbs, although your boy needs a whole lot of wisdom. I'm a pastor, and I wouldn't even pick the epistles. If I only get one literary genre, I wouldn't pick the epistles. And Lord knows, I would not pick the last book of the Bible. Whew, no, I'm sorry. Book of Revelation? No, that, that, that's not for me. I graduated from Bible college, and I'm still confused by the book of Revelation. In fact, if you want to scare me out in these streets, then come up to me out in these Dallas streets and be like, hey, pastor, real quick, can I ask you a question? I was reading the book of Revelation last night. If you want to see me run away from you, ask me that question. I wouldn't pick any of the apocalyptic nature literature. I, I'm going to pick whoo, the Gospels. Going to pick the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I love the Gospels. The Gospels to me are the closest thing that we have of a biography of the greatest man who ever walked the face of this earth. His name is Jesus. I love the Gospels. The Gospels are pulsating with the personality of Jesus Christ. Please believe this whole book is all about him, but it is crystal clear in the Gospels. I love the Gospels. Matter of fact, if you're new to faith and you want to start reading the Bible and you feel like it's so intimidating, just start with the Gospels. Go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I love the Gospels. Gospels. They are what one scholar calls Christology in narrative form. Christology in narrative form. In other words, the Gospels are a mugshot of who Jesus is. A mugshot. You, you ever been arrested? Can I see your hand? No, don't, don't, don't raise it. You, you know what happens when you get arrested. You, you, you get arrested, you get arrested, they, they take you in and they immediately confiscate your items and they take all your items, they confiscate it and then they take your fingerprint, right? And then they take a picture of you. They, they call it a mugshot. How many of you know, they do not just take a picture in the front. No, no, no. We got to get your whole profile. Make sure this is really you. So they take a picture of you in the front. They pic take a picture of you on the side. Then they take another picture in the side. And if you're really crazy, they might even take a picture from the back. They take your items, take your fingerprint, and then they take multiple multiple pictures that's what happens and then they say you have been booked the gospels they're a mugshot of Jesus. This is what happened to our Savior. You realize that when he came from heaven to earth, he emptied his glory. He confiscated his glory, his deity. And he said, let me put on human skin and feel what they feel. And I love that he did signs and wonders and miracles. But how many of you know, one gospel is not enough to get the full picture of who Jesus is. He had to get a mugshot. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we are getting different facets of who he is. I, I love, I love, I love the Gospels. But do you know what my favorite book of the Gospels is? Mark. Mark is my favorite. Mark is my favorite because it's the shortest. 
Mark, if he had a theme for his gospel, guess what it would be? Hurry up. His thing would be hurry up. There's nothing like the gospel of Mark because Mark moves faster than Matthew and Luke who are primarily concerned with what Jesus said. John is concerned with who Jesus was. Mark is concerned with what Jesus did. Ooh, Mark is letting you know that Jesus is about that action, that he moves on your behalf. That's why all throughout the gospel of Mark, you will hear this word over and over, immediately, immediately, that Jesus moves on your behalf. Immediately, he went from here to there. Mark don't even got time for baby Jesus. He just starts off, read it when you get to the crib, with full grown Jesus. He's like, I don't have time for all the foolishness. Hurry up. Love the gospel of Mark. But Mark has something unique in his gospel. Can I just teach a little bit today? Mark does something unique in his gospel that none of the other gospel writers do. It's something they call the Mark sandwich. Mark makes sandwiches. And he does it with his literary style. Mark will start with one story. And then once he starts with that story, the bread, he'll then insert another story. And after he inserts that story, he will finish with the story that he started. It's called a Mark sandwich. And he does that because the story that interrupts the original story is really what the whole story is about. Could you give us some examples? Yeah, I'll give you one. It's about eight of them he does in his gospel. One is in Mark 11. It's my favorite. It's where Jesus pulls up on a fig tree that has leaves but no fruit. And from a distance, it's kind of weird, Jesus. He curses the fig tree. Curses the fig tree. And said, let nobody eat from this tree ever again. You're like, what is wrong with him? Because if a fig tree is supposed, to, is supposed to have leaves, it should have fruit as well. But this fig tree is fronting. It has leaves. But when you get up close, there's no fruit. He starts that story. And then he goes to the temple and takes a whip and starts running out all of the money changers out of the temple of God. And then he comes back to the tree and Peter goes, oh, Jesus, that tree that you cursed is withered. Mark, what are you doing? Those stories are connected because the temple was just like the fig tree. They had a form of godliness but there was no power. They were going through the motions of church, but they were actually blocking people from actually worshiping in the first place. They were just like that fig tree. Jesus cannot stand when you pretend to have a form of godliness, when you have leaves, but when we really investigate your life up close, there's no fruit. It's what the fig tree was is what the temple was. And so Mark puts all those stories together because Mark makes sandwiches. But our text today is indicative of Mark's writing. He's doing another sandwich. You see what it is? He starts with this dude named Jairus who comes to Jesus because his baby girl is dying. And in the middle of that story, he talks about a woman who has an issue of blood. And then he concludes the story with Jairus and his daughter. It's a sandwich. Why is Mark making a sandwich? Because the stories are connected. And when you're looking at a Mark sandwich, you cannot eat a Mark sandwich the way my kids eat a Mark sandwich. They take off the bread, and they're like, I don't want that. Is it gluten-free? No, 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 no. <laughs> you you got to take the sandwich as a whole. You got to do the whole thing, because to, to only talk about part of the sandwich and not the other part of the sandwich is not to do justice to the text. They are deeply connected. So the first thing I want you to see in this text is that Jairus, this synagogue ruler, and this woman with an issue of blood, they are connected. Oh, they are deeply connected. Now, here's what intrigues me about their connection. Is that if you look at the surface of their life, you will not see a connection. But you can't look at the surface. You have to go deeper. But if you look at the surface of their life, they could not be more opposite. Come on, if you just look at the surface of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and this woman with the issue of blood, how many know one of these things is not like the other? They are completely opposite. First of all, Jairus is a man. She is a woman. There is a difference. <laughs> completely different. But Jairus, Jairus is named in this text today. We don't even know sister girl's name. Jairus is respected and honored in the culture in which he is. This woman is the complete opposite. She has been rejected. 
She has been shamed. She is an outsider, if you will. Jairus works in the synagogue. He is a pastor, if you will. This woman, she can't even come near the synagogue because she is ceremonially unclean. She has never been to the temple to worship. She has to scream out to people, unclean, unclean, every time she goes out in public. Jairus, the text would tell us, actually has some money. He's probably affluent because of his position. This woman is broke, busted, and disgusted. As a matter of fact, the text lets us know that she spent all her money. She is broke. Spent it all on doctors who did not make her better. They made her worse. They are completely opposite. They have nothing in common on the surface and yet both of them find themselves at the exact same place and position at the feet of Jesus. What is it about two people that on the surface have nothing in common but all of a sudden find themselves at the same place? What would make them do that? I'll tell you what would make them do that it's called life it's called pain how many know pain will push you to the feet of Jesus pain will make two people that have nothing in common on the surface worship in the same place pain will make a Democrat and a Republican lift up holy hands and say God this ain't got nothing to do with how I vote I need you to do something in my life right now pain will make black people and brown people and white people come together in the same place whenever life hits you with something you can't handle it'll drive you to places that you never thought you would go and pain has brought them to the same place oh people don't like to shout about that because rarely do we come to Jesus in our pleasure we come to Jesus in our pain Rarely do we come to Jesus after we got the bonus in the brand new Tesla. That's generally when you skip church and say, let's go get some brunch and some mimosas. But isn't it crazy when you get a bad doctor's report or when your boo says, I want a divorce, I'm leaving you. Isn't it crazy how when life hits you with something you cannot handle, all of a sudden you find yourself at the feet of Jesus. Pain will do that to you. Pain will push you into places that you never thought you would be. Pain is a great usher. Pain has ushered more people into churches than any other regular usher could do. In fact, the great thinker C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. You ever had pain push you to a place where you say, God, I need you? I've seen some atheists be hit with some pain that made them lift up their hand and say, Jehovah Nisi, fight your battle. (laughs) Only pain. Only pain would do it. Pain pushed them to the feet of Jesus. No no wonder they had to push their way through the crowd to get to Jesus. Anytime you see somebody pushing you, pain is pushing them. That's why they're pushing. You know it's not polite to push. But Mark also talks about the crowd being a hindrance in his text. And no wonder the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus both had to push people out the way to get to the feet of Jesus. It was not a pretty pathway with rose petals laid out for them. Some miracles you got to get desperate for. Some miracles you're going to have to push some people, some things, some mindsets out of the way. And a lot of us are trying to get miracles in our comfort zones. God says, no, I'm glad that pain is pushing you to me. Can I just talk to y'all today? See, this is why I couldn't be Jesus. I'm a little too petty to be Jesus. Because if if I'm Jesus, I want to be your first option. Come to me before the pain hits your life. But the text is suggesting to us that this woman with the issue of blood and Jairus would not have come to Jesus unless they went through this. The text said she had spent all she had on every single doctor. Then she comes to Jesus, which leads me to believe if she had some more money or if there was another expert, (laughs) she would have gone to them first. Oh, y'all don't want to be real. See, I couldn't be Jesus because I don't want to be your last option. Jairus, he is a ruler in the synagogue. The synagogue were the biggest haters of Jesus. His whole crew that he ran with were the biggest opposition to the ministry of Jesus. What would make a synagogue leader leave his crew and say, look, I know, y'all know, I know we don't really roll with him, but this is different. My daughter is dying. 
that lets me know who your daughter is your idol. Because it's, it's your daughter that pushed you to him. Otherwise, you wouldn't have anything to do with him. You know what I wish the text would tell us? I wish the text would tell us what happened after the woman with the issue of blood got the healing. Did she keep worshiping? I wish we could know what happened to Jairus after his daughter got raised from the dead. Did he go back with the rulers of the synagogue? See, we get that story with you because isn't it crazy when you need the breakthrough, you worship with all that's within you. But once God fixes it, all right, I'll see you Easter. But there's something about the patience of our Savior who even allow you to come to him as the last resort. And pain brought Jairus and this woman at the feet of Jesus. They have nothing in common on the surface, and yet they find themselves at the same place. Their pain is the same, but their pain is different. It's completely different. It just so happens that Jairus, his baby girl, she is dying. She hasn't died yet, but she is dying. When he comes to Jesus, he's coming to Jesus like somebody that is calling 911, saying, Jesus, you got to hurry up. Time is of the essence. My baby girl is dying. It's an emergency. This woman has pain too, but her pain is different because her issue has been going on for a long time. There's a difference when you've been dealing with something for a long time, when it is a chronic issue, when you have built a whole lifestyle around this issue. Anybody that's been sick for a long time, you, it becomes your identity. You know what pills you have to take every single day, and you don't even remember what it was like to feel whole again. This woman's been dealing with it for a long time, and she comes to Jesus too. Their pain is the same, but it's different, and yet it's connected. Because Mark feels the need to let us know that this little girl who is dying is 12 years old. And this woman with the issue of blood has been dealing with it for 12 years. This is no accident. This sandwich is strategically made. So you got a 12-year-old dying daughter and a 12-year-old disease. That means huh, the same year this baby girl was born is the exact same year this woman was diagnosed with her disease. That means ooh, if Mark chapter 5 was a movie and the producers of This Is Us were writing the script, <laughs> this is the scene where it would flash from the feet of Jesus, then the screen would go black. Can I paint the picture? And it would say 12 years earlier. And it would go to a hospital. And in that hospital would be Jairus, his wife, and them holding a baby girl, smiling with that goofy new parrot smile. <laughs> and then down the hallway, perhaps in the same hospital, is a woman who a doctor is looking across the table from her, saying, we don't know what to do about this disease because we've never seen anything like it. And maybe they were in the same hospital that day, but didn't even see each other. This is the movie and the picture we would see. They're in the same place, and one 12 years ago was shouting about a promise, and the other one is beginning the journey of pain. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the power of church. This is why you need community. And so many of us are so preoccupied sometimes with our promise, or some of us are so preoccupied with our pain that we're oblivious that there are people around us that are going going through things that are going through circumstances and situations and you can't be so focused on you that you miss out on the other people around you this is why you need the community of faith this is why you need to be plugged in and connected this is why you need a connect group because there's something about the community of faith coming together this is why who Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that you ought to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep because I need people to shout with me when I got my promise but I also need people to weep with me when I don't know what's hit me and pain is in my life. Now all of a sudden, the two twelves are touching. The two twelves are meeting and Jesus has brought the twelves together. Do I have some time? Oh, I still got time. 
12, 12, 12. What is 12? Somebody say 12. Come on, say it like you had your coffee. Say 12. Come on, say it with your chest. Say 12. Give God just a 12-second shout of praise real quick. Come on, 12. 12. 12. 12. 12. 12. Don't take my time. 12, 12, 12, 12. 12 is, a, 12 is an important number to God. If you go deeper and read your Bible, you know that numbers mean things. Numbers mean things. 12 is an important number to God. You don't have to have a Bible college degree or be a student in biblical numerology. Just start reading your Bible and you will see this number 12 is important. 12, 12, 12, 12 is important. You remember when God began his covenant with his people and he called Abraham. Remember Father Abraham and began a covenant with his people through Father Abraham. That covenant continued from Abraham to his son Isaac and then culminated in Jacob. Jacob had not one, not two, not three, not four, 12 sons and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel and represented the power and the authority and the continuation of the covenant that God gave with his people. 12 is an important number to God. You remember in the Old Testament whenever the high priest would going to the holy of holies he was the only one that could go on behalf of the people he didn't walk in with whatever he wanted to wear but he had to have a breastplate on that had 12 precious stones that represented those 12 tribes of Israel 12 is an important number to God I'm losing some of y'all fast forward to the New Testament you know Jesus he is our New Testament high priest he is our New Testament high priest I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus that was enough I don't have to have a preacher or a high priest go before me because Jesus blood was powerful and efficacious enough that we don't have to murder a lamb to come in here to worship God but the lamb that was slain his blood was enough but how many you know the first time we see our high priest is not just in Bethlehem when he was born but the first time he's teaching is in the temple and he is 12 years old 12 is an important number to God and then when that 12 year old turned 30 and he got ready to turn the world upside down down but he had to pick his crew his roll dogs if it was me I would have stopped at 11 but not Jesus he understood that every hero needs a hater so he said come on Judas and he picked 12 disciples to walk with them 12 is an important number what is 12 12 speaks to government 12 speaks to structure 12 speaks to power but more importantly hear me 12 is the number of authority it is the number of authority. What is Jesus saying to us in this text with the 12? He's saying what he's been saying all throughout the gospel of Mark. That I don't care whether it's a blind eye, a deaf ear, demon possession, oppression. Whether it is a storm, a sickness, or a disease. There is absolutely nothing that you are facing that is not under the jurisdiction of my power and my authority. Never have the nerve or the audacity to tell your God to hurry up because you don't tell the person that has the power and the person that has the authority to hurry up. He is not on our time schedule because he is not in time. He is God full of wisdom, full of power, and full of authority. Twelve is the number of authority. Do you know what Jesus is teaching us in this text? He is teaching us that he has the final say. That he is the ultimate authority. Now, often when we preach this text and we look at this passage, we reduce it to faith because he looks at this woman and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And don't get me wrong, faith is important. You need faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is important. Faith is our anchor. And you need an anchor. But how many know nobody takes an anchor and just throws it in the water? You're going to lose that anchor. You better connect and attach that anchor to something. And hear me, my faith has got to be connected to my understanding of his authority, the authority of his word, the authority of his power. If you don't truly believe that God is the ultimate authority, then your faith is going to struggle. But my faith has to be rooted in the fact that God has all power. God has the authority. Authority. And it is my awareness of his authority that will usher me into deeper levels of faith and ultimately will determine what I receive from him. Oh, is this too much for a Sunday morning? 
Some of you think you have a faith problem. You don't. Your faith is cool. You know you don't need a lot of faith. You just need mustard seed faith. Here's what you really need. You need an awareness that God is the ultimate authority. Because some of you say he's the authority. But as soon as you get that doctor's report, as soon as your cousin and them say, well, I don't see how this can happen. As soon as you see your circumstance that seems bigger than your God when it's right in front of you, you think it has the authority. And God's saying, your faith will only be as strong as your awareness of my authority. Could you give us some scripture examples for that? I'm so glad you asked. Do you remember when the disciples on the boat with Jesus prior to this and he gave them a promise they're going to go to the other side? And they're there on the boat and the winds and the waves are raging. And all of a sudden, Jesus is not standing there in the water saying, didn't I tell you we'd be on the other side? Fear not, my children. No, homeboy is in the bottom of the ship asleep. Mark says on a pillow, knocked out. And they run to Jesus. Jesus, don't you care about us? Have you ever said that? Don't you care? How can you sleep? And he gets up, cool, calm, and collected. Goes to the edge of the boat. Peace. Be still. And the winds and the waves stop. And what do they say? Who is this man? No, for real. Who is he? We thought we knew, but we didn't know. Who is he? That even the winds and the waves obey him. They marveled at his authority. And what did he say to them? Oh, you of little. The reason you had little faith is because you didn't know who I was. You didn't know my authority. But if you knew my authority, you should have been looking at me while I was sleeping in the storm and said, who is this man that is sleeping and snoring in the middle of a hurricane? Look, y'all, if this storm ain't bothering him, why should I let it bother me? It's good over Jesus. So let me just sleep here with you. Because if you ain't tripping about this, you must believe what you said that we're going to get to the other side. So I'm not going to stress about it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to trust the power and authority that when you speak a thing, it has to come to pass. Oh, I'm telling you, you want the storm to go. I want your eyes to open to the awareness of his authority. Because hear me, if, huh, if you don't trust somebody's authority, then you won't trust the validity of their words. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So if I don't believe you're the ultimate authority, I'm not going to trust your word. You ever been there before? I have. You ever gone to a hotel and you had somebody give you uh, something less than great customer service? You, you ever had that happen? Somebody? Okay, just one person. You ever had it happen? <laughs> and my daddy taught me something, which, by the way, it's his birthday today. Shout out, Pops. Happy birthday. <laughs> my Nigerian daddy taught me something long time ago. Did you better make sure you're talking to the right person? Don't take what the person at the store or on the phone tells you at service level. Here's a line I've heard this man say since I was a kid. Can, can I speak to your supervisor? <laughs> can, can I speak to a manager? Well, and you cannot believe the things that have shifted and changed from speaking to a supervisor, from speaking to a person with authority that can change the situation. I never get one time I went to a hotel that I had a reservation, had a reservation, was booked, and laid the front desk said, uh, "Excuse me, Maydo, Mr. Maydo, Madu." But yeah, I. I'm not seeing your reservation. I said, ma'am, <laughs> this, this has been booked for several months. He's like, well, I don't see the reservation at all. I'm so sorry. And we are fully committed. We, are, we don't have a single room left. I said, ma'am, could you check again? I'm sure I had the reservation. I'm looking. Madu. Madu. And I just, I don't see, I don't see the reservation. I'm so sorry. And we are fully committed. We are so booked. There's not a single room left. I said, oh my goodness. And I almost left. 
But I forgot I got a Nigerian daddy. So I said, can I please speak to a manager? Can I, can I speak to somebody else? She said, well, I can get him, but I don't know what's going to happen. That's not going to do anything because I don't see your reservation. She goes to the back, gets the manager. Manager comes out and goes, oh, hello, Mr. Madhu. It's so good to have you back here. Girl, move. I'm so sorry. She is new. Let me, let, here's your reservation right here. And I'm so sorry. As a matter of fact, for the inconvenience, can I upgrade your room? to the executive suite. I said, go on, do whatever you need to do. Isn't that crazy? How in the world did I go from about to be on the street to an executive suite? Because I talked to the person that really had the power and the authority to change the situation. Oh, I don't know who this message is for, but you've been talking to the wrong person. You've been talking to your neighbors and your friends. You better talk to the one that has the power and the authority to change the situation. God, I'm bringing my issue to you. I need to speak to the supervisor. I need to speak to the one that made the heavens and the earth. I need to speak to the healer. I need to speak to the way maker. I need to speak to the miracle worker. I need to speak to the one. Got the authority. I'm telling you, this woman, this woman, watch this. Ooh, I got to hurry. This woman, this woman goes for 12 years. I've been speaking to the wrong people. For 12 years, I've been going to people who are practicing medicine. There's a reason why they say practice. <laughs> that practice protects them. I hadn't been speaking to the great physician. For years, I've been speaking to the wrong people. I demand an appointment with the supervisor. My time ain't up yet. Don't be saying that alarm. <laughs> now I'm playing. She, she touches the hem of his garment. And she's made whole. Wait a minute. <laughs> Authority is important. Because you'll approach with your awareness of authority. Jairus approached Jesus with his awareness of his authority. He said, Jesus, come to my house. Lay your hands on her. She'll be healed. That's my awareness of your authority. So come to the house. And Jesus goes, okay, let's go to your house. This woman had a different awareness of his authority. He ain't going to come to my house. He ain't going to touch me. Because they said I'm unclean. But maybe if I touch him. I know he's not going to touch me. But I'm wondering if I just touch him. If I can be made whole. That was her awareness of his authority. That there was power in the hem of his garment. And because that was her awareness. That's what she got. They should have talked, both of them should have talked to this centurion. Who he pulled up on Jesus one day and said, Jesus, I got a servant that's sick. You ain't even got to come to my house because I understand authority. I'm a man in authority and under authority. And because I'm a soldier, when I tell somebody under my authority to go do something, I don't follow them to see whether they did it or not. I just speak the word and they have to obey my command. So I'm wondering if it works like that for me. Will it work like that for you? So Jesus, don't come to my house. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And for the first time in the history of the pages of your Bible, somebody got healed without Jesus even being in the room because one person understood authority. And what did Jesus say about that centurion? I have never seen faith like this. You don't got a faith problem. You don't believe he's the real authority. 
But when you know he is the ultimate authority, ooh, miracles are happening. When you know he is the ultimate authority, when you know he's not bound by your time clock, oh, he don't have to hurry up. He is God. He is out of time. He can't be late. He's out of time. When you understand he's the ultimate authority, you'll stop going, hurry up! Hurry up! It is the arrogance and the self-righteousness of our schedules, of our dreams, of our 10-year plans that we have put on him and you think you've been disappointed and I dare say who gave you that time schedule? How can you hurry a God who is infinite not just in authority but also in love and compassion? It's scary to have somebody that has authority but has no love and compassion. That's a tyrant. But when you have somebody that has ultimate authority and ultimate compassion, that is somebody to be trusted. That is somebody you don't say hurry up to. <laughs> you just say, I trust you. Can I land the plane? Watch this. All of a sudden, this woman gets healed. But don't forget, her healing is an interruption to Jairus' miracle. Don't forget what happened. Go there in your mind. Remember when he came to Jesus and said, Jesus, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. My baby girl is dying. Would you please come to the house? Would you please come? Please, please, please. And Jesus said, I'll go. Can you imagine the joy that filled Jairus' heart? He's like, okay, my baby girl is dying. Time is of the essence. But Jesus said he's going to come. It's going to be all right. Okay, follow me, Jesus. And the Bible says there's a crowd of people everywhere. You can see this place crowded. You ever been in a crowd and you're trying to follow somebody through a crowd so I can see Jairus trying to get Jesus to follow him? Come on, follow me, Jesus. And he's trying to push through the crowd. And you know, Jesus, he was a celebrity. Folks was trying to get off on him. I can see Jairus go, uh-uh, not today. We're going somewhere. Come on, Jesus, follow me. And he's pushing people out the way and he's moving because time is of the essence. He's got to hurry up. Come on, Jesus, follow me. My house is this way. As if he don't know. But follow me. Come on, Jesus. And he's going through the crowd of people. And the text subliminally suggests to us that somewhere in the journey he loses Jesus. In the crowd. You ever lost somebody in the crowd? Je Jesus. What? And Jesus has stopped and Jairus goes, Where is what is he doing? We don't got time for this. And he pushes people to find Jesus paused. Talking about who touched me? And Jarvis is like, are you serious right now? I just told you, this is an emergency. You're pausing to play 21 questions and my baby girl is dying. Don't act like you ain't never been there before. Don't act like you have never cried out to God and said, God, this is an emergency. You need to hurry up. And he seems to be pausing to ask questions. Who touched me? No, I'll wait. And he waits. The Bible doesn't even tell us how long. He waits. Please keep in mind this woman thought she was probably going to be stoned. She is the unclean touching the clean. She is breaking the law. And Jesus will not move until she reveals herself. Her body has already been healed. She was healed the moment she touched him. But because he heals so holistically, her soul needs to be healed. Yes, I've stopped the issue of blood, but you've been sick so long, you've identified yourself with that issue. So I need to heal your soul. So I'm going to make bougie Jairus wait. Because he think he can buy a miracle. He think he all day. He's never had to wait in his life. He's going to wait today. And I'm going to wait for you to come. And surely she came trembling. And she came scared. Until this beautiful, compassionate Savior looks at her. And the only time he says this in the Gospels to somebody, daughter, 
Your faith has healed you. She needed to know she was a daughter. Because she had been outcast for so long. Jairus, the way you feel about your baby girl. It's the way I feel about her. This is, this is my daughter. So I don't mind sitting down and talking to her while you wait. And he sat and he talked. The Bible says she told her, him the whole truth. Another version says she told him her whole story. That lets me know how long it was. She <laughs> told him <laughs> her <laughs> whole story. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If you are on a time schedule, do not talk to a sister or a lady to tell you her whole story. If you're in a rush, talk to a dude. He'd be like, I'm good. <laughs> Ask a woman to tell you her whole story? Get you a comfortable chair. How long is this conversation? But he just talks to her, sees her, unravels the damage of all those years of being outcast. I'm telling you, those of you that just want God to heal a physical issue, he's so much deeper than that. What good is a new house if you don't have a good marriage in the new house? What good is you getting that spouse if you're not whole enough to have the spouse in the first place? He wants to do deeper things in you. Talks to her. Says, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Can you see Jairus? Whole time steam coming off his forehead. Hurry up! My daughter! It's crazy because Jairus was not only waiting for his miracle, he had to watch her get hers. If it's not painful enough to wait on your miracle, what do you do when God makes you watch somebody else get their miracle while you're waiting on yours? And you got that fake church smile. Oh, <laughs> You got healed. <laughs> Hallelujah. Here we go. No, I know you can't say it. I know you can't say it. Because you almost feel bad to admit that you're sick of getting invitations to baby showers. And you can't have a baby. Oh, it's a painful thing and a weird emotion to watch somebody get their miracle while you got to wait on yours and try to be happy for them. But you can't because you're going, God, I, I know you can do it. You just showed me. So why won't you hurry up and do it for me? And Jairus, when he finally gets Jesus to come on, Julie's thinking, okay, he took a long time with her, but there's still hope, there's still hope. We can make it. Come on, Jesus, come on get three steps maybe and here comes the messengers from the house he can see it on their face before they say it Jairus don't bother the teacher anymore your daughter's dead when I read that text I have two daughters so I felt Jairus's pain it also became so clear to me, Jairus got some jacked up friends. No, for real. You need the right people around you when you're going through stuff. I don't know who these people from the house were, but he shouldn't have let them in their house. Not because they brought the facts. She was dead. I don't fault them for bringing the facts. It's the commentary they added to the facts. All you had to say when she was there, it's the, don't bother the teacher anymore. Jairus, don't bother 
the teacher, she's already dead. In other words, saying, Jairus, this is the time to give up. This is the time to throw in the towel. This is the time to walk away. How you gonna tell me to walk away? It's not your daughter. Be careful of people who think they are the final authority and they don't know who the real authority is and they proved it in what they said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. You don't have a revelation of who he is. He's not a, just a teacher. He can teach, but he is not just a teacher. He is the savior. He is a miracle worker. He is a healer. Matter of fact, he's the resurrection and the life. So even death itself cannot stop him. And that's why Jesus overrode what they said and said, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. It ain't over until I tell you it's over. Come on, Jairus. I don't know who this is for today, but maybe somebody told you to give up and throw in the towel. And you've been saying, God, hurry up. And you've come to a dead end. I came to tell you it is not over until God says it's over. He is the final authority. He has all power in his hand. He's the resurrection and the life. Keep adding my time. He, uh, he gets to the house and I love what he does because they've already started the funeral. He said, why y'all crying? That girl's not dead. She's just asleep. And they laughed at Jesus. He said, oh, y'all think that's funny? All of y'all, get out. I love it. It's only two times when Jesus got physical with people. That get out, he, he put his head. Don't, don't imagine a Savior saying, would you please just exit? No. It's forceful. Get out now. Because you're messing up the environment of faith. And you've already concluded it's over, but it's not. I don't know who that's for. But there's some people you need to tell in your life to get out. Uh, maybe the reason what you've been believing for hasn't gotten up is because you haven't got the wrong people out of your life and out of an environment. Faith is contagious. Faith is contagious. You got to be in the right environment. Some of you get away from these negative people that light up rooms when they walk out. Get them out of your life. Tells them, get out. Then he goes to her, takes her by the hand, and says, Duluth, little girl, get up. Can I give you a preacher confession? I preached this text I've preached this text before I always shouted this part of the message shouted it get up get up from worry get up from death get up <laughs> made for a good message but not true to the text do you notice what Jesus said she's not dead she's asleep the vocal intonation that is implied by the Greek text is that Jesus went to this little girl and said, hey, sweetheart, hey, get up. He told her to get up the same way we would tell our little kids to get up who have been sleeping. His power is so great that death and sleep are the same to him. That I don't got to yell. My power, my authority is so strong that I can walk up to a dead girl. Just say, hey, baby girl, it's time to get up. And again, because I heal so holistically. Get her something to eat. Came to talk to somebody that's been raising your fist to God saying, hurry up tell you that he is not on your time schedule and that true trust true faith says God I trust your authority I'm not gonna stop believing I know you can do a miracle but I refuse to tell you how it's supposed to look I'm gonna give you this and I'm done Jairus wanted what the woman wanted healing but Jairus didn't get healing. He got a resurrection. Try that one more time. Jairus was just believing Jesus for healing, but he didn't get healing. 
He got a resurrection. I would like to not ever get sick. I don't mind being healed. But if you really want a story, tell somebody you were dead, <laughs> but Jesus brought you back to life. I would take that story any day. And we're still talking about this girl today. I'm saying, you don't even know what to ask for sometimes. How about you just trust his authority and his compassion? Would you stand to your feet all over this place today? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I don't know if you noticed, my clock never went to zero. <laughs> and I came to tell somebody, God is not limited to your time schedule. He has all power and all authority. And he's compassionate. You can trust him. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I need to talk to somebody who perhaps you've been in the delay and you're about to walk away from the promise because it hasn't showed up on your time schedule. I don't know that my prayer is that you have more faith, but my prayer today is that your eyes be open to his authority. What they said about you is not the final authority. What the doctor said is not the final authority. He is the God full of power and love. If you're in here today and you say, I need supernatural strength to keep trusting maybe your circumstance has gotten so big that you think it's the final authority I don't care how long it's been going on he's still able if you trust him if that's you today you say hey would you pray for me today I need strength to keep trusting he told Jairus don't be afraid just believe if that's you today would you just lift up your hand as a sign to say I I need strength to keep believing. Father, thank you right now for every single hand that is raised. Father, I come against fear. Lord, I don't want to belittle the situation, God. I don't want to belittle the pain. But God, open up our eyes to see that you have all power and authority. There is nothing out of your control that is not too late. And that even when it seems over, when it seems dead, you're the resurrection and the life. Lord, I thank you for every hand that's lifted. Lord, I thank you that strength comes to them today, even just by hearing this word today. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. Thank you today. We are strengthened by the word today. God, surround them with the right community of faith that won't come with commentary to the facts God, you can do the supernatural. The facts are not final. Do it today for my brother, for my sister. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you've never surrendered your life to this Jesus, maybe pain has brought you here. What you're going through, pain brought both Jairus and this woman to the feet of Jesus. He's cool with that. He just wants you to come. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I would love to include you in this final prayer to say, Pastor Robert, I, I need to give him my life. I'm not asking you, are you coming to church? I'm asking you, is he the authority in your life? He doesn't want lip service. He wants to be your Lord. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand high enough, long enough to where I can see it? Yeah, see that hand. Thank you. Even watching online, right there on the Pando app, right there in that prison cell. God's meeting you. Can we pray this prayer as one big family? These altars are going to be open if you want some personal prayer. But can we pray this prayer as one big family today? Would you say this? Say, Jesus, I need you. Lord, I know that you have all power and all authority. So I put my faith, I put my trust, all of my hopes in you. Lord, you're the resurrection 
and the life. So I'll stop telling you to hurry up. I'll just trust you. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I give you all of me. From this moment forward, I'm walking with you wherever you lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Come on, if you meant what you prayed, can we give Jesus praise today? Come on, you can do better than that, social fam. Thank you, Jesus. These altars are going to be open, as I said, if you want personal prayer. We ask that if you dropped off a social kid, you'll pick up that social kid. Hear me, just pause real quick. We have social DNA happening right after this service. If you've just been coming to church and you haven't got plugged in or involved or you want to know more about the heart of this church, social DNA is happening after this service. Next Sunday, don't come here. We're going to be at the Windspear Opera House, 9 and 1130. But hear me, until next Sunday, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, give you grace and peace now and forevermore. God bless you, social fam. Love you so much.